Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. I want you to imagine a circumstance, a scenario that I'm sure you've been in before or you have seen or maybe you were a part of. Have you ever seen a child be disciplined or corrected in which they cross their little chubby arms and pout out their little lip and stamp their foot and they'll, and sometimes if they're being real defiant, they may say something along the lines of, you don't love me. Have you ever seen that? Were you that child when you were little? You cross your little arms, that sort of stuff. You don't love me. Now, it is equal parts manipulative. And, and believe me, children are manipulative. They are manipulating you. And also this confusion that we, that we are naturally born with in which love and discomfort are mutually exclusive. That if the relationship is uncomfortable or if there are moments in which the relationship, particularly in that of discipline or correction, then that can't be love. Love is always good. Love is always happy, all of that sort of stuff. It's just something that we are naturally born with and inclined towards. And sadly, it's not something that we grow out of. It is something that we often carry with us if we are not conscious about it. If you've ever been a boss or a supervisor, you know that if you need to correct somebody in your in, um, personnel or in your staff, then you do that at the risk of being accused of having a bad work culture or being an overbearing boss or something along those lines. That is just not the way it is. The reality is that's part of the job is being a boss. It's just something that we deal with as children and as adults. In fact, in less serious things, we don't like being corrected. We hate being corrected. How many of you, by show of hands, have lane keep assist in your car? How many of you have the feature that will push the car back into the lane? All right, and how many of you have turned that off? Yeah, everybody, because we don't like being corrected. I don't care what the car thinks. I know how to drive. And occasionally you can go over the lines a little bit like that. We don't like being corrected. We do not like discipline in our lives. Everything about it makes us push that off to the side. One of the reasons we don't like it is because we often confuse discipline with punishment. And there's two different things. Discipline with punishment. One author said that punishment looks backwards to what you have done, while discipline looks forward to who you are becoming. Sam Storms wrote that discipline is for the purpose of restoration, not retribution. So really helpful this morning as we talk about this topic of correction or discipline here in the book of Jeremiah. Today we're going to finish out our summer-long series on the, the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is just filled with God talking about both discipline and punishment. Primarily, he is going to punish the evil nations that are around um, the people of Israel. But he was also very specifically disciplining his own people disciplining and correcting his own people. They had gone wayward. They had chased after other gods. They had looked toward other things for their purpose and their value and their protection and their provision. And God was going to purge that out of them. He was going to remove that out of them to, for their own good. It's not 
bad. It's not hurtful or harmful towards those people. And yet it is for their own good that they would look towards God as their only one true God. And so in those moments, we often forget the idea that this book also has encouraging things. As the book of Jeremiah ends, there are all of these big pronouncements, these declarations against the nations around Israel, to which God is declaring what he is going to do to the other people, to the other nations, not Israel. And in that scene, as the dust settles, we come upon this scene here in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 17. It says, Israel is a stray lamb chased by lions. The first who devoured him was the king of Assyria. The last who crushed his bones was King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. This stray lamb, breathless in constant danger, exhausted and fleeing from the predator is wondering where its safety is. Hear what I'm saying here. God has disciplined his people. And as that dust settles, God is now speaking into this disciplined hurt, scared, exiled people and saying, this is what's next. This is what you can expect. Now, this is why this is helpful for us because we are disciplined by God. Regularly, we are disciplined by God where he's going to purge our hearts and our minds from things that ought not be there. And in those moments, in those seasons, in those settings, we can often be very tempted to look at God and say, you don't love me anymore. This hurts, I don't like it. What is your purpose? What is your plan? You don't love me anymore in this. And so what I hear God saying in this moment is what we can expect in and through his discipline. Let's pray together and then we will look at Jeremiah 50, verse 17 through 20. God, thank you for your words. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for these who have gathered and all the transitions in life that are happening over the next few days. God, we pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds, be with my mouth and my mind as I I share what I have studied. May it be uh, pleasing to you, edifying to the saints. May we grow closer together as a body of believers, ever thankful for what it is that you have provided through the Son and by the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So if you have a Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 50. I heard several of you turning the pages a moment ago. That's great. If you do not have a Bible, I have plenty of Bibles for you. I bought new Bibles just to give to you, and I want to give those to you. This last week, I ordered some new ones because every week, more and more people are coming up. They don't have a Bible. They want to get one, and I gave them to them. So I ordered these new Bibles, and I thought, I'll, I'll get a different cover. Turns out I ordered really tiny Bibles, all right? So if you don't have a Bible and great eyesight, I have, um, I have several for you, Okay. Also, I have children's Bibles if you are uh, a child, if you're an adult. I've got adult Bibles for you too. The only difference is the cover. All right, so I've got that for you out there. Let's read the Bible. This is what Jeremiah 50 verse 17 through 20 says. I already read 17. I'll read it to you again. Israel is a stray lamb chased by lions. The first who devoured him was the king of Assyria. The last who crushed his bones was King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Therefore, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, I am about to punish the king of Babylon and his land just as I punished the king of Assyria. Verse 19, I will return Israel to his grazing land and he will feed on Carmel and Bashan. He will be satisfied in the hill country of Ephraim and of Gilead. 
In those days and at that time, this is the Lord's declaration, one will search for Israel's iniquity, but there will be none. And for Judah's sin, and they will not be found. For I will forgive those I leave as a remnant. This is what God says is next. So in this moment, Israel, you feel like a stray lamb. You are scared. You are isolated. You are exiled from your own country. And you're wondering, does he love me? God is speaking clearly into that moment saying, this is what's next. Two things. The first one is that I will punish the wicked. That's helpful. That's extremely helpful. Because as we are being disciplined, God will often in his own wisdom and his own sovereignty use other nations and other people and other circumstances to discipline his own. He will. I don't know why he does that, but it is what he does. When we read this story, our our sensibilities can be offended in that God would use Babylon or Assyria to, to exile his people. Why would God ever? Use wicked nations like Babylon and Assyria. Look, that's in his discretion. What we need to know and be reminded of is that God is no respecter of persons and that the wicked will be punished. Very often in our immature states, in our weakest moments, while we're being disciplined by God, we can look out at other people and we're like, why do the wicked prosper? That's what David said. As he was being disciplined, he looked out and said, why did the wicked prosper? I'm being faithful. I'm doing what you called me to do. I have integrity. I have character. I make the right decisions. I I, I try my best. And yet, God, it feels like you're against me and it feels like you're for them. And God wants to remind you, as I want to remind you today, that no one gets away with anything. That ultimately God will punish the wicked. That just as God disciplines his own people, he punishes the wicked. This brings some minor level of comfort to us while we are being disciplined. It is not your job to discipline or to punish the wicked. You gotta gotta leave that up to God. Of course, there are other people that are doing wrong, but God will take care of that. You worry about what it is that God is doing in your own heart. As a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of God, you worry about what it is that God is doing in your heart. Let God take care of his business. You take care of your own. What God is saying here very clearly right at the very beginning is, I know that Babylon hurt you. I know that Assyria hurt you. They are a wicked people and I will punish them. You need to know that they will get what they deserve. I've probably told this to you before, but I am of the age in which I can no longer eat pizza for dinner. It's just, it just happens at some point. Anybody else feel me on that? Anybody else? It's just, I used to be able to eat a whole pizza if I wanted to and nothing would bother me. You know, when I was you guys' age, I could eat a whole pizza at like 11 o'clock at night and never feel a problem. Now, one piece at like 5.30 and I will wake up with a stomach ache. A couple of weeks ago, I thought to myself, maybe it's just, maybe I've been eating too much. Maybe just eat one, maybe just eat two pieces, small pieces, you know? And I didn't even eat all the crust because that's where all the buttery stuff is, you know? I just ate the pizza and uh, two o'clock in the night I woke up the worst stomach ache ever. You know what I thought to myself? First thing I thought was, you deserve this. <laughs> you knew better and you did it anyways. This is your fault. That's what I thought to myself. God says to the people of Israel, they will get their just desserts. Don't you worry about Babylon. Don't you worry about Assyria. They will get what they got coming to them. But that's, what, that's what's coming to the wicked. But what about them? I don't know that Israel was all that worried about Babylon. 
I don't know that when you're hurting and when you're in pain and when God is working on you and pruning things out of you and your idols are being smashed and your heart is being uh, uh, brought into the light and you're squinting through the pain of seeing what it is that God has in your life. I don't know that we are too often worried about Babylon. We're more worried about, well, what's going to happen to us? It doesn't feel like he loves us. God speaks into that moment. God says very clearly in that moment, here's the second thing. Not only will he punish the wicked, but he will keep his promises for his people. Like I said, Jeremiah is a tough book to read. So much destruction, so much bad stuff is going to happen. So much beware and and behold, the day of the Lord is coming. That sort of stuff is just all over this book. We can walk away from it thinking that it's 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 just so sad. It's so down. It's so heavy. It's so it, it, it just beats you up. But in the midst of all that tangled up mixed in there is these messages of hope. It's really a book about promise. It's really a book about inspiration. It's really a book about what God plans for his people, the good of his people. It will go through a disciplined path, but in the end, it's going to be good. In fact, one of the most famous ones we talked about a few weeks ago, Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, when your discipline is over, I will attend to you and confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declarations, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. See, over and over and over again in Jeremiah, God is saying, my plan for you is good. My plan for you is to prosper. It's just you have to go through discipline to get to that point. You have to be corrected to get to that point. So not only will he punish the wicked, but he will keep his promises to his people. And that promise is twofold. The first one is a promise to provide. In verse 19, he says that I will return Israel to the grazing land. It's a a picture, a motif, a shepherding motif that he's already brought up in verses six and seven. My people were lost sheep. Their shepherds led them astray, guiding them in the wrong way. In the mountains, they wandered in the mountains and the hills. They forgot their resting place. Verse seven, whoever found them devoured them. As we read verse 17, Israel is a stray lamb. This whole idea of shepherding and lambs and sheep is that God is the good shepherd and that he will provide and protect his sheep. He will ultimately give his people what it is that they need. That's his intention. That's his plan. That's what he is about to do. And for a people who have been exiled, pulled out of the grazing land, out of their home, and they're taken to a foreign land where they feel like they are isolated, where they feel like they are alone, where they don't know where their food is going to come from, where they don't have a place to be their own, this message is encouraging. This is a good message that through the discipline ultimately will take you to the place where you want to be, where you need to be. And this message is encouraging for us as well. See, what God disciplines out of us is that constant chasing after idols and constant chasing after pleasure and protection and and power and prestige and all the other P words. All that stuff, God is pruning out of us in a place where he was going to give us in the first place. This is 
God's promise to provide than God's promise to pardon. Look at verse 20. In those days, at that time, the Lord's declaration, one will search for Israel's iniquity, but there will be none. And Judah sins, but they will be found. They will not be found, for I will forgive. I will forgive. God is going to forgive his people. Remember, they were not in exile because they didn't uh, eat the food. They weren't in exile because they didn't live in the land. They were living in the land. They had God's provisions. They had what God was giving them. They were in exile because they chased after other gods. And God's saying, I'm going to forgive you of that. Hear me on this. It's not as though God brought them in and begrudgingly told them, hey, here's the land. I told you I'd give you the land, so there's the land. Go live in it. No, God welcomes them in. You hear me on this? This isn't as though you've gone off and done something bad. It's not as though you have this idol within your heart or this addiction within your mind or this habit, this unhealthy habit or this thing that that you just keep going back towards and God is killing that and God is breaking that in your heart for your own good. And it's not like once that's done, God then says, all right, fine, come on in. I mean, you're still, I still remember. I still know what you did. That's the way that we think that God acts. It's like, fine. Come back in. But that's not what God says. It's like his full on welcome all the way in as if it never happened. They can search, but they won't find it. They can look for the sins, but they're not going to be there. God says, I will give you what you need. And I forgive you completely, totally forgive you. John Thompson wrote of this verse. If the people carried in their memory a sense of guilt and despair, they may be assured that the dark shadow of guilt that had dominated their thinking would be taken away, never to threaten them again. God completely forgives them. He provides and he pardons. Those are the two promises. This is the whole of it. In the midst of that moment when the lamb is scared, in the midst of that moment when the lamb is afraid, God runs to it punishing the wicked and fulfilling his promises for his people to give them what they need and to forgive them. And this is the same gospel message for you. This is the same invitation for you to choose Christ today. Because there we are. We stand in one of those two camps. You are either a wicked rebel of God to whom nothing but judgment and wrath is owed. Or you trust God You believe God, you repent, and you follow Jesus to whom promises are fulfilled. What it is that you need and forgiveness. We chase other things, but God says that he will provide. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of of his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Philippians 4, 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God is what we need. God will fulfill his promises And this is the larger redemptive picture. The father offers salvation secured by the son, sealed by the spirit. His promises are sure. So here's something I've learned in my life. Here's something that this text is reminding us of. Here's something that I want you to be encouraged by. Discipline is a good thing. I didn't say it feels good, but it is a good thing. We need to, in our lives, welcome God's discipline into our hearts, into our minds. Man, we are so tempted to think that he no longer loves us in those moments when he is is working in and through us. But I'm telling you this, God's discipline on you is not a sign that he doesn't love you. It is the proof that he does. God is disciplining you because he loves you. 
because he wants better for you, because he has better for you. If he didn't love you, then he would just leave you to your own. Let you chase that path that ends in nothing but destruction. Let you chase after other things that are never, ever satisfying. But because he loves you, he purges your mind and your heart of those things. And it is hard and it is painful. But in those moments, we have to remember what scripture says. Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Proverbs 3.12, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And here's a quote from Priscilla Schreier. I think she just, I think she nails it. Listen to what she says. Discipline is not about punishment. It is about freedom. When we submit to discipline, we are setting ourselves free from the bondage of sin and the power of the enemy. We have to grow to the place where we accept God's discipline into our lives, knowing, knowing that on the other side of that, is promise and forgiveness. A few weeks ago, Jackie was invited to speak at a women's event down in McAllen, Texas, large church down in McAllen. And uh, if you don't know where McAllen is, if you can think about the shape of Texas, it's all the way down there, all right? All the way, way past San Antonio, way past Houston. It is just way down there. Not all the way to the tip, but almost all the way down there. And when she told me this, she was going to go to McAllen, I, I immediately, I was like, I want to go. I want to go to McAllen. And she was kind of surprised because apparently I've never told her that I want to visit McAllen, but I really do. And so I was talking about it. And I was like, we could take, take the boys. We can all go down to McAllen. And like McAllen's never going to make like the top 10 resort towns. Uh, and so she's like, why do you want to go to McAllen? Because Tom Landry is from McAllen. That's why I want to go to McAllen. Actually, technically Tom Landry is from Mission but it's right next to McAllen. All right, so it's right there. So she can go do her lady thing. And then I'm gonna go over to Mission, Texas. In Mission, Texas, the high school football stadium is named Tom Landry Stadium. There's a big street in town called Tom Landry Street. There's a huge mural downtown that is painted, venerating Tom Landry. And I wanna go see all of this. No doubt every bit of it will be entirely underwhelming, but I wanna go see it. I wanna go see it, I wanna take a picture. I wanna just say that I was there at the childhood home of Tom Landry. I went to his dad's mechanic shop, which is still there. I can go and experience all this. I can see all of this Tom Landry-ness. I love Tom Landry. Our dog is named after Tom Landry. I don't like that dog, but I like that dog's name. That's why we keep him around. When Jerry World there, AT&T Stadium in Arlington first opened, I took a, a, a group of junior high boys to go see this thing. We were going to tour it. And as we were approaching Mecca, we came to this, uh, this life-size bronze statue of Tom Landry. And there's 20 or so boys. One of them, they all stood around the thing. And one of them says, Tom Landry, who's that? <laughs> That's what they said. And none of them knew it. I made them all get back on the van and we left. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I felt like it. I was like, you are not worthy to go in here if you do not know who Tom Landry is. Some of you right now don't know who Tom Landry is and you can Google that later. I bring all this to you just to share with you one quote from Tom Landry, the great. Here's what he says. The job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. I'll read it to you again. 
The job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they always wanted to be. That is discipline. And that is what God is doing in your heart. You don't want to crash that idol. You don't want to topple that habit. You don't want to break free of the things that are upon you. But God is making you do things you don't want to do. He's making you put up with people you don't want to put up with. He's making you be surrounded by circumstances and situations. He's making you go through the fire, things that you do not want to do in order that you would be who it is that he created you to be. And that is worth it. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.